last couple weeks, we have had a blast. I mean, uh, three weeks ago, we had our one service fall picnic. Uh, we raised enough money during that fall picnic to pay for every registration for all of our teenagers to go to uh, CCYC uh, here in just a couple months. And so, man, that, that, was, that was incredible. Um, last Saturday, it's probably the event that I look forward to the most every year. It's called Oktoberfest. Now, Oktoberfest is the biggest fundraiser of the year for the Onslow Community Outreach, our homeless shelter, soup kitchen, dental clinic, and care clinic. And Restore Church is a huge part of that. I don't know if you were there or maybe you're here because of Oktoberfest, but man, we had it, I mean, we kind of had it going on. It was pretty awesome. We had music. At one point, the Cupid Shuffle was playing, and I'm standing back with just some people that were kind of walking through. And Restore Church, like, all y'all were out there doing the Cupid Shuffle, and it was awesome. And I lean over, I got my Restore Church t-shirt on, I lean over to this lady, I was like, what kind of church is this? Uh, well, it was a church that had fun, and man, I, I, uh, I had a blast, and I hope y'all did too. If you weren't a part of the Oktoberfest or weren't able to go for whatever reason, look, next year, make sure that you are a part of it. Uh, it's something we talk about all the time. One of my favorite things to do uh, and one of my favorite pastimes is to people watch. Anybody else? You love just to watch people. Maybe you're sitting in the airport and you're watching people or uh, at a ball game and you just kind of watch how people interact with. You want to know one of the most interesting places to people watch is at a rest stop. And when you ever watch someone stretch and the dumb faces they make with their face, you can't help it. Uh, if you watch, ever catch me stretching, my face is the dumbest face that any human being makes. But it's even better when it's other people that you don't know. And you're at a rest stop, and they get out, and they're like, ah, you know, it's, it's great. I love people watching. At Oktoberfest, uh, I take some time to enjoy one of my favorite hobbies, people watching. And uh, so there's this family. It's a, a husband, I, I'd assume it's a dad and a mom. And a daughter. The daughter is probably, I would say, five, six years old, and they're coming back from the children's area. So that means they've all already walked past the Restore Church area. Oh, y'all want to hear something? Side note: We were passing out frisbees, like just with the Restore Church logo on it. We were playing frisbee hole. If you know, don't know what that is, uh, use your imagination. It was awesome. And so um, it's a kind of a game we made up. But anyway, we're passing out Restore Church frisbees to people. And mainly kids who can't catch, and they let it hit themselves in the face. I was leaving my, my neighborhood this past, uh, yesterday, to come here. And there were kids in my neighborhood playing with the Restore Church Frisbee that we passed out at Oktoberfest. How cool was that? You probably did it. You probably hit some kid in the forehead with that. So feel proud of yourself that Restore Church Frisbees are out there in our neighborhood. Anyway, I'm people watching, and this mom, dad, and child are walking back down through the Restore Church area. Now, Restore Church had it going on. We had music. We had a ton of kids' games. We had a photo booth. I mean, kids and families were at our area all day, and it was incredible. And this child obviously did not want to leave. And so it doesn't help when she walks back down and she wants to come back through the Restore thing. And mom and dad are like, no. And they're both holding her hands, and she's trying to pull back over here. And they're like, no, we got to go. And she does not want to leave, and she's like crying, screaming. And finally, she does the pro move of a five, six-year-old. She just drops, and she screams, this is the worst day of my life. And as a professional people watcher, 
oh, I couldn't get enough. This is great. What do you do on the worst day of your life? I mean, what do you do when you go for a normal routine doctor's visit and your kid goes through their checkup and then the doctor comes in and tells you, hey, we got to do some cancer screening. The worst day of your life. What do you do when you get a call from one of your parents that your other parent doesn't have much time left and you've got to get home? The worst day of your life. Or when the love that you've invested in for so long isn't reciprocated anymore. It's the worst day of your life. I would imagine that at some point, as a Christ follower or someone who follows Jesus, like, does your faith play a role? The worst day of your life, there will be some people who will call you, and maybe you've never experienced it, or maybe you already have. Uh, maybe you've had a couple of those days, and you can tell stories about them. Inevitably, you will have a well-intended Christian, someone who has uh, your best interest at heart, and they will call you, or they will show up on your doorstep, and they will say these words. They will say, just have faith. Now, they mean well, but and there's probably some truth behind this veiled Christian cliche of you just got to have faith. But I don't know if you're anything like me, but on the worst day of my life, when someone shows up and tells me that you just have to have faith, what I'm going to reply with is you're having a lot of faith that I'm not going to reach across this table and, and harm your faith because you just said something stupid to me in the worst time of my life, and maybe you have been in the worst time of your life, and someone says something to you like, just have faith. Just have faith and things will get better. Um, don't have ill thoughts of someone who says that to you. A lot of times, they just don't know what to say. And we, as American Christians, feel like we have to fill every void of silence with words. And so we say things that, maybe empty, but what if you were able to have faith? Well, this morning we're going to talk about what does that mean? What does it mean to have faith on the worst day of your life? Uh, in your Bibles, go ahead and find Hebrews chapter 11. It's probably the most common chapter we use when we talk about faith. Um, if you need a Bible, throw your hand up and Olivia, for the second service in a row, will bring one to you. She's like the professional Bible passer outer. So you just flip your hand up real quick. She'll bring one to you. It's the same Bible I'm using, so no shame, embarrassment. We want that Bible to be yours. Keep it, have it, uh, highlight in it, write your name in it. Uh, we want you to study God's Word at home. Um, you can also follow us on the Restore Church app. If you push Bible, it will open a Bible up for you, and you can search Hebrews there. Uh, maybe you have the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, under the live section, if you type in Restore Church, uh, it'll pull up all the scripture we're using. And we'll have the verses on the screens, but uh, man, here we're not trying to develop Christians. We're trying to develop Christ followers. And if you're going to do that, you've got to be in God's Word. So you've got to have your tablet, your phone, or uh, the old school Bible with you. Uh, so if you find Hebrews uh, chapter 11, that's 
That's where we're going to be. If you were to go home today and open up the book of Hebrews and start to read, um, there's going to be some really obvious things. One thing is no one knows who wrote Hebrews. Okay, There's a lot of arguments, and at some point we, it doesn't matter. Uh, it could have been a man. Some people think that it's, it's a woman, Priscilla, that wrote it. It could be Barnabas. It could have been Paul. It could have been really anyone. Here's what we do know about the person who wrote Hebrews. They were extremely Jewish. And if they weren't Jewish, they knew a whole lot about the Jewish faith. And their point of writing Hebrews, so remember this, if you were to go home and start to study Hebrews, it's really deep. And it's really deeply rooted in Jewish history, mainly the Old Testament. You're going to be able to flip back and forth between the Old Testament and Hebrews chapter 11. Well, in Hebrews, just the whole Bible, or the whole book of Hebrews, but even uh, chapter 11. So they open up with this this thing about angels, and this thing about Abraham, and this thing about Moses. And the point of the book of Hebrews is this. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than religion. And specifically, this Jewish person is trying to get Jewish people to see that Jesus is better than the angels, than Abraham, than Moses, and that Jesus is the plan of God through the Hebrew people. That's why it's called Hebrews. So you've reached, um, oh, and this is the point that I was trying to make, is that all of that, chapters 1 through 10, all of this history and all of this proof that Jesus is better culminates in chapters 11, 12, and 13, the end of Hebrews. And so we really are, you go home and do your own study and, and read through Hebrews. We really are at the climax of the book of Hebrews. And so if you're there with me, if you're using one of, uh, if you're using one of these Bibles, it's on page 565, and, and you can follow along with me. But we're going to be in chapter 11, so we're going to look at verse one, verse 1 through 5 first. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. That verse is very important. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended uh, as one who pleased God. Um, there is a point that the Hebrew, the author of Hebrews makes. And it's a point that I think it'd be great for all of us to understand this morning. We will never completely understand God. Now, I've kind of given my life to this, all right? So I've got a, a couple of fancy pieces of paper. Uh, we call them degrees, but really they're just a piece of paper to tell you how much student loans you've got, okay? That's all they are. I've given my life to kind of trying to understand God. And trying to learn about God. But one of, the re one of the points that is so real for us as Christ followers that we've got to understand is you will never 100% completely discover God. 
And that's okay. It doesn't deter us. It doesn't keep us from trying to study, or we'll talk about this a little bit more. It doesn't, take a, it doesn't keep us from earnestly trying to seek him. It keeps us in awe of him. It keeps us in chairs like this in moments of worship. It keeps us here to try to learn more and try to grow and develop in, in Christ, trying to discover God. We say here at Restore Church that we are a group of, we are a community of imperfect people trying to discover a perfect God together. If you ever find yourself in a moment where you say, man, I've got it, I completely understand God, what you have found is not God. And if you ever find yourself studying under someone or, or in a church where the preacher has completely understood God, what that person or that preacher has found is, is not God. And that's okay. It's actually a good thing. Faith is having the assurance of what is to come and being sure of what we do not see. We're going to give a full definition of faith in, in just a minute. But chapter 11 is this litany, this big long list of individuals that are examples in the Hebrew faith, the Old Testament, and will culminate in chapter 12. I wish we could study chapter 12 together. They will culminate in chapter 12 with the example of who Jesus is. Let's look at verse uh, 4 and 5 again together. Verse 4. Uh, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as righteous. When, when, God, uh, when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. Really, that just means we're still talking about Abel. And his life still speaks. Okay, we're still studying about him. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Abel's story lives on because of his assurance of God and what was to come. Enoch, as one who walked in a right relationship with God, he put all of his trust and all of his belief in God. And in the end of that, it says, um, in the end of verse 5, it says, um, and he was, uh, he was commended as one who pleased God. Keep reading to verse 6. Without faith, check this out, I don't know if you're an underliner, or a highlighter, or a note taker, verse 6 is worth it. It says this, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Okay, did you, did you see this? Um, without faith it's impossible to please God because... Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We need, as a group and as a church, to define faith. I've always struggled uh, to with, with the definition of faith, to define faith. Some will take verse 1 and, and quote verse 1 as the definition of faith. They'll say, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And while that's a great description of what faith can look like, it lacks for a definition. And so this morning, we're going to talk about a good working definition for all of us. And so when you hear someone talk about faith, we can really hold it up to, to this test to see if that's really faith, and more importantly, it gives us a definition to put in practice real faith. 
Now I want to give credit, uh, credit to where credit is due. Where I'm borrowing, I'm borrowing this thought, um, this idea from a theologian. I read a lot of his books, articles. He's real conservative, uh, real conservative theologian. But in this instant, man, he he gives us a great example of um, of faith. His name's Jack Cottrell. If you're looking uh, for a little light reading, <laughs> um, before we start talking about what faith is. Uh, let's talk about what faith is not. Faith does not mean that we don't try to learn. There are some Christians who will be apathetic towards studying the Bible because they say, well, I'm just going to have faith. That's, that's just lazy. <laughs> I'll just call it is. That's that's not what faith is. Faith is not just, oh, I'm going to just believe it and not try to seek to study or to learn. As a matter of fact, we'll talk a little bit more about this in just a second. The second thing that faith is not, faith is not a last resort to reason. You'll hear this cliche a lot that um, f- uh, faith begins where reason ends. And that's just not true. Reason is built on faith. Faith is built in reason. They strengthen each other. God is the creator of reason. God did not create you to think so that when you're fed up or frustrated or come to the end of a conclusion, you're just like, I'm going to have faith for the rest of it. Faith or reason backs up and solidifies and underlies uh, Christianity. So faith is not some, we're not keeping science and faith separate. We're not keeping reason and this mystical idea of faith separate, they go hand in hand. And we're not going to take an easy way out to say that faith begins where reason ends. Here's also what faith is not. Faith is not experience. Faith is, faith is not built on experience. Actually, it's the opposite. It's, it's going into something not knowing. And so faith is not wisdom. So then what is faith? Well, let's talk about if it's impossible to please God without faith. That means we need to have faith and be able to practice faith. So there are two aspects of faith this morning that we need to talk about. Here's the first aspect. We need to go quickly. First aspect is belief. Belief. Belief is the cognitive aspect of faith. Look at verse 6 again. It says this. uh, um, And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must Believe that he exists. Belief is the cognitive portion of faith. Um, like I said, so, sometimes we confuse faith with what we've already experienced. Uh, like I said, we, we call that wisdom, not faith. Faith is a belief in something that you have not experienced at all. Um, here's a, uh, here's a, a good example of that. You're new to Jacksonville, and you're driving down the road, and your car breaks down on the side. You call uh, AAA or USA or whoever, and, and they tow your car back to your house. But on the way back, you're looking for what? You're looking for a reputable mechanic. And so you're texting your friends, you're posting on social media, you're calling, and you're looking for a mechanic. Now, you, you've not been in Jacksonville before, or you've not lived here long enough, so you are taking completely 100% recommendation. And so to believe your friend or, or to take their word is an example of what it is to 
believe it's the cognitive portion. Or when you go into a new city and you're looking for a new Chinese restaurant. You know what's weird is how opinionated people are on Chinese restaurants. Can I let you all in on something? They're all the same. They're all the same. You can get two pieces of broccoli, and your stomach's going to hurt three days later. So let me help you. All Chinese food is the same. Believe me. Or as my friends would say, believe that. Now, if you, if you believe me, that's the cognitive portion of faith. If you don't believe me, you're still using your cognitive portion of faith and probably more reason here about Chinese food. Go back to the car example. Do you believe your friend? Yeah, of course. You ask them, and so they're going to send you to a reputable. Or you Google it, and, and you believe whatever Google says, or Yelp, or I don't know. I don't know how the Google machine works. Whatever, uh, you, you know, you don't know, and so you're trying to find out the best mechanic to go to. Um, here's a biblical example, and this really illustrates it well. Look at John chapter 5. Uh, it'll be on the screen, verse 45 to 47. It, it says this. Now, this is Jesus. He's really uh, handing it to the Pharisees. Like, he's, he's lecturing them. But it's a good example of the belief portion of faith. Look, but do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Uh, your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. Now, look. Pharisees, they really, Moses was their guy, right? They, they based everything on the first five books of the Bible, and it was their job, like their religious duty to defend it. But were they there when Moses lived? No. But man, they still held tight to these laws that Moses wrote. And so Jesus says this, you believed Moses. This cognitive portion of trying to understand and believe that he, that he was there when God split the waters into two. That he was there, he walked into, uh, walked into to, uh, Egypt and, and went head to head with Pharaoh. Like These Pharisees were not there, but Jesus says, if you believed Moses, then you should believe me. Because Moses wrote about me. So you can even see that Jesus uh, kind of leans into this belief portion. Look one more time at verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. The first aspect is belief. Now, before we move into faith, or before we move into the second aspect, uh, I want to say this. I don't know if this is common in church, but it's common in ours. For the preacher to say this, and uh, even if it's not the right thing to say, I'm going to say it anyway. That happens regularly here if you're new to Restore Church. Uh, you will say, did he just say what I thought he said? If you were here last week, yeah, that really happened. Um, don't take what I say just because I say it as truth. This belief portion of faith, you have got to dig deep for it. You cannot build your faith over three-minute Facebook clips from some famous preacher in Charlotte or from famous preacher in Florida or wherever. Okay. You cannot build your faith based on a 35 to 40 minute sermon that some guy studies during the week to present to you. You've got to build your faith based on getting in the word and studying it yourself. I'm not right all the time, just like 98% of us. Okay, 99%, you're right. I'm not, 
look, go home and read the Bible. Study it. And then decide if, if I'm right with what I say or not. If you're going to disagree with me, disagree with me because the Bible says so. If you're going to agree with me, agree with me because the Bible says it, not just because I'm wearing a microphone. Here's the beautiful thing about Restore Church. And if you disagree with me, this is the best church for you to be in. <laughs> and one of the beautiful things about Restore Church is you're allowed to disagree with me, and I'm allowed to disagree with you, and we will still walk into heaven together. Isn't that cool? Okay, so go home and dig deep for the belief part. Because this next aspect means nothing if you don't have, if you don't know what you believe. The second aspect of faith, if the first aspect of faith is belief, then the second aspect of faith is trust. Now, uh, belief being the cognitive aspect of faith, trust is the action. Trust is what we do with what we believe. Uh, some of you may know this, uh, some of you know me personally might know this, but the rest of you, I'm, I'm going to let you in, and now you will know me personally. Um, before I came to Planted Church, I was actually training to, um, to be a chaplain in the Navy. And I, uh, I was, that's why I went back to go get my master's degree, and, and then I was doing some insanity, the workout, yes, believe it or not, I was working out, I know, uh, in the garage. Y'all know what I'm talking about, Shanti? You earn this shirt. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so I'm out there doing these stupid-looking jumping jack push-up things that no human being should ever do for fun. And I'm sweating my tail end off. But, man, I'm starting to see results. Like, they need to have me on a before and after picture uh, on this thing. Now I'm just a before picture. <laughs> I'm not even. So, anyway, I'm out there, like, sweating, man, and I'm feeling good. Well, like, a couple weeks in, maybe a month in, I'm starting to feel good. And I... Uh, I like attention, and so I'm telling everybody. You don't work out unless you tell people, right? Let's like CrossFit people. You don't CrossFit unless you tell people. People who are doing Whole30, you can't really do it without telling everyone you're doing Whole30. You know what I'm saying? I'm one of those people. And so I'm telling everybody about how I'm working out, losing weight, and chiseling up and all that stuff. And it's the only time in my life I ever used the word chisel. And, um, and so the person I care about the most to impress is my wife. And so we're sitting in the living room one day, and my son at the time was about two. Maybe two, maybe not quite two, but he's right around that age. And, and so I'm going to show this ultimate display of, of impressing my wife. I'm doing stupid stuff like this. Watch, baby. I can jump on the couch just flat-footed. <laughs> and I did it, but, you know, that's stupid. So anyway, she doesn't think that that's great, so I think this. Watch this. Baby, I'm going to flat foot jump over our son. Think I can? Pfft, duh. <laughs> Y'all, I'm so good shape at this point that I can jump and touch the net of a basketball hoop. <laughs> like that's how, just the long ones though, not the short ones. And so my son, he's like, he starts. So I'm going to give you a display of our house. Like it's a long living room. The kitchen's over here. This is where my wife is. So she can't really see my son down here. So long, long hallway into an open living room. What I forgot was behind me is our recliner. It's the old school recliner that has like the handle that you pull up, right? This is important to the story. That you pull up and kick back and relax. It's a great recliner where we put it away because it's old. So I put it down and then my son is on the end of this, on the end of the hallway. And he starts to run toward me. Here we go. Moment of truth. He gets like five feet away. Man, I'm showing off. Flat foot jump 
Am I clearing him? Of course. Duh. What he didn't know was the whole point part of me jumping over him. So Bowen, five feet away, he starts to lean forward. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched the balance of a two-year-old. It kind of doesn't exist. So he's running, and then he leans forward because he thinks I'm going to catch him. I don't know if you've ever tried to catch someone when you're 15 feet in the air, but at this point I realize, oh, no. And the kid passes between my legs head first into my chair. It's okay to laugh at my son. You can do it because he's fine now. But he wasn't then. And not only did he run into my recliner chair, y'all, his eyeball hit the curved edge of the part that you pulled up. Now, if you've had kids and they've ever hurt themselves to the point that they don't cry, you know something's up. And my son comes up, and I pick him up immediately after it took me 15 seconds to get back down on the floor because I jumped so high. I picked him back up, and he's not crying. He's just doing this. He started to cry, um, and uh, I thought I thought I blinded my son, and was my wife was going to leave me all in about 30 seconds, and I was trying to impress her, and you see how that went. Also, the whole rest of the day, I'm coming up with my hand, like right next to his eye from the side to see if he can see it. So he's fine, so yes, you can laugh. But that's a good example of faith, believing that I was going to catch him, and the trust to put all his weight into it. Here's another way you can think of it. It's a wedding, and it's a husband and a wife standing up on their wedding day in front of each other. Both of them say, I do. And both of them believe the words they're saying and the words they're hearing. So much so that the following days, weeks, months, years, and hopefully for the rest of their lives, they sacrifice everything for each other's, first of all, holiness, and second of all, their happiness. A good example is Peter getting out of the boat in the middle of the storm to walk on water to Jesus. He believed that Jesus is who he says he is, and then he put his actions to following. And I don't know if you've highlighted or underlined verse 6 yet um, or tried to memorize it, but this is it. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must do what first? Believe. Believe that he exists. And then second, he rewards those who earnestly seek him they they do it and so to put this equation together belief plus trust equals faith now i love math and that's why this is in an equation thing because numbers don't lie but neither does this equation belief plus trust always equals faith but let's let's start to remove factors here for a minute if it's just belief alone with no faith what does that equal it equals, a co- it equals words only with no action. It's what we look back in the Bible and talk about with the Pharisees. This is the label that the church has, has earned for the last three to four decades. What do you call someone who talks about it but they never act on it? It's a hypocrite. And the church, I say again, has earned that name. Churches who say they love their community, but they don't do anything about it. they rather just build more buildings than to love their community. 
as churches who have, have pushed certain groups of people away instead of trying to show them the love of Jesus because they would rather have this righteous indignation about who they are as if they weren't saved from sin first. This is churches that say you got to dress a certain way, your skin has to be a certain color, you have to uh, talk a certain way to fit here. Look, that doesn't happen here. That doesn't happen here. If you're a Christ follower, you belong here. If you are not a Christian, an atheist, anything in between, you belong here. You come from a good Christian family, you belong here. You come from a broken home, you belong here. You talk a different way, you belong here. Your skin's a different color, you belong here. We don't play that game. We actually try to do our best to love the same way Jesus did. The same type of people that Jesus did. But unfortunately, the church has earned this hypocritical nickname. Hey, not nickname, title. I, I want to say this to you. Uh, I, I don't know if it's in a way to, to soften the conversation, but you're inviting people to church. And the person says, man, I'm not going to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. The worst response is this, and I'm the biggest one. Man, I used to say that for a long time. That's the easy way out. No, I, I want you to hear something. We as Christ followers, we believe that the death of Jesus on the cross is because of our sin. And we will not play some light game about it as though, yeah, I know I'm a hypocrite and you are too, so come and we'll just chill as hypocrites together. Look, as Christ followers, we try to be about it, not just talk about it. We want to pursue to love Jesus and love like Jesus and love the people like he did and love sacrificially and put it all on the line. We're not hypocrites here. And if we do something hypocritical, it is not okay. So I want you to hear that, and I'm going to ask you to start to try to reverse this title of a hypocrite. I want people to know, we want people to know Restore Church as a church that talks about it and is about it. What happens if you remove the belief portion of this formula? We're just philanthropists. If we're doing good, but we're not doing it in the name of Jesus, we're philanthropists. Now, don't get me wrong, Restore Church loves philanthropy, and we will partner with organizations that are not Christian-based if it means that our community will get better. You've heard this the last couple weeks uh, in Jacksonville as it is in heaven, and, you know, we want to partner with people who have the same values as doing good and loving our community, even if they don't love Jesus. But as a Christ follower, we can't just be about good works, right? We just can't be about trying to earn our salvation. We can't be about that. We have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He's going to do what he says he's going to do, and we're going to act like it. Now, now here's why this is important. Here's why this formula is so important to us. Listen, it's because faith restores humanity. Yes, that's a play on words for the name of our church, and it's on purpose. Faith restores humanity. Here's what I mean. Believing that God is who he says he is and putting our lives into his hands is what he intended humanity to be. Follow me for a minute. When God created Adam and Eve, he told them, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Believe me, God says, that this is good for you not to eat this 
And I'm going to expect you to trust with your action by not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Adam and Eve didn't, and, and they ate of the fruit, and then they tainted what true faith looks like. So then sin enters this world as this spiritual disease. See, true faith restores. Belief and trust together, it restores. It, it changes communities. It changes cities. Look, we don't just say that, we believe it. True faith changes relationships, it changes marriages, it changes your work environment, it changes how you parent. It changes how your kids love each other and how they love other people. It changes how we view the homeless, the ostracized, the the marginalized. Faith restores. Here's what believing and trusting looks like. It means believing that God is powerful enough to take care of your marriage and trusting enough to take the necessary steps to make it work. Faith restores marriages. It means believing God loves you even though in this phase of your life you don't think anyone can. And then it means trusting him enough to find your identity in him, not Instagram. Restore, or faith restores identity. It restores image. It restores truth. Even though you may be mad at God or, or feel like you, and you may have every right to be. It means that believing that God is on your side and trusting that the best is yet to come. Even though you may not see the best until eternity. Faith restores perspective. It means that even though right now you might find your life pointless. That God found enough value in you to create you. And that you need to trust that you are worth the death of his son and his only son. God in the flesh. Faith restores life. Faith in God and and ultimately in Jesus restores humanity to what it intended to be. Now, I'm going to paraphrase the rest of this chapter really quickly. I want to kind of get to the end because I want to share some things with you about Restore Church. Um, The rest of this chapter goes like this. Uh, Faith is Noah believing that God was going to send rain and trusting him enough to build a boat and save humanity. Abraham believing that God's plan for his life was bigger than his own and trusting him enough to leave everything to pursue a new life that began the nation of the Hebrew people. Moses going back to Egypt believing that God was on his side and trusting him enough to go head to head with the most powerful man in the world in an effort to save God's people. Joshua thinking an ambush of Jericho. He submitted to God's plan of a marching band. And he trusted enough to not send his soldiers in with swords, but with trumpets. Because he knew that the walls would fall. Rahab putting her life on the line for a God that she had only ever heard about. But trusting that he was powerful and compassionate enough to save a prostitute like her. Can you pick up reading with me in verse 32? The author says, and and what more should I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. And through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who 
uh, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Like, that's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of faith I want. I want Restore Church to be remembered as, a, as people who, like, flexed and, and we conquered foreign armies. Like, we, we, were, we were there. We were like David and Samuel and Samson. Like, we are the story and the epitome of what strong faith looks like. We are the example of, of God uh, seeking out the good of those who love him. But what do you do on the worst day of your life? One day, Restore Church won't exist anymore. The first church of Jerusalem doesn't exist anymore. Every church you read about in, in the book of Acts one day closed its doors. The, the seven churches in Revelation do not exist anymore. One day, whether it's 300 years from now or three, Restore Church will not be here anymore. The question is, how will we be remembered? Like, what will people say about us? One of the things that I first did when I got here, it was like, we launched in March, and so this was October, and I met with the, the mayor and the city planner and the city manager, and, and I asked them some questions about the city and how could we love our city the best. And one thing I, asked, one thing I said at the end, I said, I know this is cliche, but... If Restore Church were to be pulled out of our community three years from now, I would want the three of you to mourn personally because of the hole that we leave here. Like, what's going to be the reputation of Restore Church when the lock is put on the door and the, the final payment is paid out of the bank account and it doesn't exist anymore? Alternatively, can I ask you, what will you do on the worst day of your life when it's not good? When we're not slaying foreign armies. Matter of fact, let's keep reading in Hebrews. Verse 35, women received back their dead, their race to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they may gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and, and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to, get to death by stoning. They were sawed into two and they were killed by the sword. They went out in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. And the world was not worthy of them. They knew what they believed in the worst day of their life. And they maintained their faith and they acted on it. The world was not worthy of them. I want to share two things with you here at the end of this sermon. Um, a couple weeks ago we began this series of dark forces and it began it started the planning was for this to be a vision casting sermon for uh for restore and a couple of people were like well no one really said this but it, there wasn't really much vision in the first or the second sermon what we talked about was that the first sermon our church can be built on the foundation of jesus it's not going to be built built on clever planning it's not going to be built on clever preaching or, or great bumper videos, although that one's pretty dope. It's not going to be built on an awesome worship team, even though they kill it every week. It's not going to be built on an awesome village program or, or encounter program. It's not going to be even built on a large uh, congregation. Restore Church is going to be built on the foundation that Jesus will save and can save all of us. And last week we talked about the type of person that Jesus saves. And really it comes down to the broken, which is everybody. This is not a place for perfect people. And 
those are the only type of people that don't belong here, the people who want to pretend like we're perfect. You're just going to be uncomfortable. So the type of church that we are is a church that not only talks about, but we want to put our money where our mouth is. So here's the vision casting part for you. Restore Church exists to be, uh, to create disciples, okay? That's what we want to create by relentlessly loving God, recklessly loving people, and radically loving the world. I, I know this sermon is long. I just am going to ask you to hold on for just a moment. We want to create disciples. What this means is we don't care how large Restore Church gets. For a season, a couple months ago, that's what we were focused on. And man, we couldn't be more frustrated. Because if you're after bigger, you're never going to receive it because there's always bigger. Restore Church is not about numbers. Restore Church is about creating disciples who create disciples who create disciples that look and love and follow Jesus. All right, I mean, that's what we're about. Once we started focusing on that, man, we saw people who commit to that, who, who want to follow Jesus, like go all in. We, we're not about like halfway in, halfway out. We, we don't apologize for pursuing Jesus, earnestly seeking him. The last eight Sundays, we've had five of the largest attendances we've ever had. Two of the three that we didn't was the one service together for the children or for the youth fundraiser, and it's because everyone thought it was going to be outside and it was still raining. I don't blame you for not coming to that one. And then it was a holiday weekend. Look, those are great. It's awesome, but you know why it's awesome? It's because it just means that that many people are interested in following Jesus. Again, we don't want to. We don't care. It goes against my prideful competitive nature to say this but we don't care if we're the largest church in Jacksonville or the smallest we want to be we want to make God proud of the church that we are so we want to please him with true faith with uh, believing and acting we believe that restore church can be a church that helps change Jacksonville to look more like Jesus we believe that with everything we are we make try to make sacrificial decisions that look like that so with that being said the last uh, in the last six months or so, there's been a small group of us who have been looking into what might be next for Restore Church. We have, we've had some experts come from Raleigh to walk us through financially what it would look like to have our own facility. Now, we're two and a half years old. We're the last um, two months or so. We've had an attendances somewhere between 170 and 180. That's it's really good for a church of two, uh, of two and a half years old, okay? But again, it's not about that, but that's something they want to see. Are, are we growing? Are we impacting our community? They want us to be three years old, and unless God does something uh, crazy and wants us to close, I would be upset about that, but <laughs> we're, we'll make it to three years old. They want to make sure our attendance is good. They, they want to see responsible financial statements, and we've, we've given them all of that. And so the thing they encouraged us on is Restore Church hitting every mark that we need in order for us to have our own facility. The mark that we're not hitting, and I have to remind myself we're still a very young church, is our financial mark. Um, and so here's what we're going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to make some Restore Church team, not, not Roger, but the Restore Church team is going to ask you to make some sacrifices in your home and give financially to restore. Now, I know some of you are already giving. Uh, yes, we're going to ask you to give more. Now, if this is your first Sunday at Restore, we don't ask for money often. <laughs> but uh, we're not going to apologize for it. Because Restore Church is really changing 
Joshua. Some of you can tell that story. So we are in search of a facility. Um, we, are, we are shy of the goal of saving. We've got to have a certain amount of reserves. We've got to have a certain amount for a down payment. Here's what I want to assure you of. Restore Church does not need another building, another church building, okay? What Restore Church wants to do, and, and I promise you this, whatever building that we move into, if we get to move into a building, um, we will find a way that our communities can use it Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday if, if that's the case. Because we are a church that loves our community. We want to prove it. So what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to commit three years to Clyde Irwin. Now, for the 12 of us, uh, yeah, that's kind of a dig because we need some more people. But so for the 12 to 15 of us that set this up every Saturday and Sunday, I want you, I, I want to speak to you for a minute. Just hold on. Hold on. There is a light. Faint, but we can see it. For those of you who, who aren't a part of that, please come sweat with us. <laughs> come worship with us as we set up chairs and, and stuff. It's really a good time. It's fun. But um, so there is an insight for, for those of you that work your tail end off and, and sweat in there. The Lord appreciates it, and, and so do we. There is a light at the end of, of that tunnel. And so would you, whatever that means for you, for, some, for someone in here, that means a significant amount of money. Hey, it's going to serve our community. For some of us, that just means sacrificing Starbucks twice a week. Or, or a family of four. Don't go out to eat twice. And would you commit that financially to restore it? We're also going to ask you to sacrifice some of your time. We need help back here at this table, running slides and running sound. It's the same three or four people every week. We're going to ask you to serve in a village. A couple weeks ago, I asked, I made a plea to our church, would you take one Sunday a month to serve in the, in the, in the village? And we had like three people do it. All right. We need people to be examples of Christ to our kids during the service. This is not babysitting. It's not child care. It's forming the next generation of disciples. I want to challenge our men to, to serve in the village. I'm looking at one, two, three, four. I'm trying not to look at you and count five. In this, hey, the second service is killing it in the men's serving department. Yo, we got some guys in here. So kudos to you. But we need examples of men who love Christ, and we need some nurturing moms to be examples of Christ in the village. So w would you help us with that? Hey, it, it's so worth it. And, and I, I'm done with my plea of, of serving here. You won't hear me ask for money very often. Uh, we might, maybe next year will be the next time. So to hear me ask you means, man, it's something significant. This is not, uh, I want to say this also, this is not, we're fine. Restore Church is fine. We're not closing our doors next week. Um, we can pay our bills and we pay our staff. We're, we're okay. Um, but if we're going to move forward, we need to sacrifice. Um, and the reason that we're staying three years here at Restore Church, God can make a move before then. God can make a move after then. We're going we're gonna to seek him. Uh, and whatever. 80% of our rent that we pay here goes to the school. So they, it goes to dollars here at this location. The other 20% goes to the county. So 100% of our rent check goes back into Jacksonville. So part of the reason that we chose here when we left the AMC Theater instead of somewhere else that it goes to pad some 
in a fat guy's pocket and that doesn't even know there was a jacket in there. So, um, man, so a- anyway, th- that's my plea. It's not fancy. It's, it's not probably even well rehearsed, but that's what we're asking you to do, to love, to make uh, Jacksonville a- as it is in heaven. I struggled this week with how to end this sermon. I knew it was going to be long, just so you know. So maybe I could have told you at the beginning, but then you might have left. Um, I struggled with how to end this sermon. Um, but this is how, this is, I thought this was fitting. So I'll, I'll try to think of examples or stories that were not sports related because some of y'all are tired of sports and you can repent of that later. I, I was trying to think of a good example that everyone could relate to as far as what true faith looks like. And, and, uh, I thought about Kevin. And I don't know if you got to meet Kevin, but it's kind of hard to miss Kevin uh, when you come in a restore, man. Big smile, big dude, uh, like contagious personality. He probably welcomed you. He told me that his goal in Jacksonville is to meet every person in Jacksonville. I think he he finished like last week. He's only been here for like a month and a half. I mean, he's just tenacious about um, – about being here, but this is what happened about nine months ago. I, I drove to Roanoke and I sat in his, hu- in his house with him and his wife, and I was like, "Man, you need to plant the church." Dude, well, I've been saying this for years, but but yeah, nine months ago, I was like, "You need to plant church." And Kevin said, uh, "It was like this real spiritual moment." And he's like, "No." Um, he gave me like fifteen really good reasons why he should not plant a church. And man, I I hope he gets to tell you the story, and I, I hope my you can hear the story from Maya also. Uh, Kevin got to go home to his home church, and they really didn't have a youth group. And the reason he's going to be good at church planning is because he loves Jesus, but also because he can start new things like that. Like most things he touches turns to gold, except my wallet. And he, um, he, uh, he, there's like no kids in the youth group, and then all of a sudden there's like 20 kids or 30 kids or 40 kids. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he's like, no, it was 100 kids. And so it's like he gets, go, he gets to go back to his home church and do that. He has some really crazy good, I want him to tell that story, not me, but some good spiritual breakthroughs in his family that he'd been praying for for 10 years. I mean, since I met him the first time. His wife, Maya, finished school, worked her butt off, like going to school and her job. Like, you guys know what that's like, school and work. Gets her degree, and then gets her dream job accepted the position, is in the middle of the finance, or in the middle of the, uh, like, paperwork processing. And it's like, Kevin, you really should plant a church, dude. And uh, did you know that more than 55% of Goldsboro doesn't know Jesus? More than 55%. That, that means if Jesus were to come back right now, they would not spend eternity with him. And I can remember Kevin hearing these, saying these words. When I heard that statistic, I couldn't say no to church planting. And so and, uh, Kevin's been doing a, a year-long residency with us, and in 20, he's going to leave next year and move to Goldsboro. That's what faith looks like. That I believe that Jesus can change a culture and change lives and change marriages and change addictions and break chains into freedom and and so he's like, I can't just sit back and say no to this. I, I've got to do it, even if it means 
given up stability and a home that I own and financially we're okay. And, and the biggest sacrifice for church planners are their wives. And for their family to say, we're going to move to Jacksonville where we don't know anybody, and then we're going to go to Goldsboro and change the world. That's faith. You know what would be a huge display of faith? Is if you went with them. Maybe you start praying about next summer moving to Goldsboro, starting a new church with Kevin and Maya. Look, I would do it. I believe in them enough that I would do it. Would you start praying about planting church in Goldsboro? And faith looks like our whole staff. These people give of their lives to love Jacksonville, and they see very little reward for it. Faith looks like you, like digging in deep to pursue Jesus. Faith looks like you saying, I'm giving up all of this stuff to pursue Christ. It means making sacrifices to, to be more holy. It means giving up a lifestyle to pursue Jesus. There are so many examples of faith in this church. Let's thank God together. Thank God of all the stories we read in Hebrews, we pray that restored church is added and that God one day they will say that the world was not worthy of them. But God, ultimately we know that we are not worthy of you. We're not worthy of the grace that you give us, the mercy that you've pursued us with, the, the gift of Jesus. And so Lord, as we pursue you and your mission and your dream of a church that changes this culture and this world, God, let us pursue you over those things. God, we believe that you have the power to change our community and our lives and our relationships and our marriages. Let us act like it, God, and, and help us to do that. Of all the examples of faith, God, that we read in the Bible, thank you. Of all the examples of faith in this church that we sit next to and, and we see, God, thank you. We pray all these things. We're able to pray all of these things because of who Jesus is. And let us ask this, that it be in Jacksonville as it is in heaven. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.